Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here at Parkview Church, we exist to glorify God through the whole church, making whole disciples of Christ for the good of all people. And the way in which we do that is through opening God's Word. So, if you are in junior high, now's your time to go learn about Christ from the Word in your classroom out yonder. And the rest of us are going to open our copies of God's Word to Malachi 3. Please open your Bibles to Malachi 3. It's very important uh, that we have our Bibles open as we worship because it's a posture of just receiving from the Lord, of learning from Him. It's a posture of learning, and that's what we want to be as disciples of Christ, is learning Jesus together. And we're in our series on Advent, and we're looking through different Old Testament prophecy passages that are uh, pointing us to this coming King, and, and kind of create longing for us as we await uh, King Jesus. And Advent is always a, a double look, right? You look backward here, in our time and place right now, in the history of the world. We look backward to the first coming of Christ uh, in fulfillment of those promises and then we look forward in the future to Christ's second coming where he will come again and establish justice and peace and righteousness forever in a new heavens and earth. And so since it's Christmas season I want to tell you a bit of a story about myself to tell you about how immature I was as a seventh grader, okay? Now this is how I remember the story. I was talking to my parents recently Maybe this never happened, but this is, this is a memory in my mind, so maybe I'm just totally m- making things up. But as I remember it, it was a warm 60-degree Christmas day in Phoenix, Arizona. Yes, that part is true, okay? It, does, it gets to 60 degrees on Christmas day in Phoenix. That's not surprising. It's my seventh grade year, and I was expecting, I was expecting one gift, okay? I mean, it's all the gifts, one gift. In particular. It, was the, it was the year the Xbox was released, and so I wanted that Xbox, okay? And so there I was, you can see me, right, reaching in my stocking, getting a new sl- snow globe. Okay, that's, I like snow globes as a kid growing up, so I get a new one every year. Anyways, strange, I know. It's a new snow globe, new hat, new gloves. You know, there was like this odd, like, I remember this water maze game thing that you kind of like, the little waters were like little bubbles, and they would try to go through the maze. Obviously, that was something cool that I needed in seventh grade, but I was still expecting the Xbox, right? So I grabbed package one, new pair of shoes. Package two, new, another new hat. Thank you, mom and dad. And then the third package, right, is some random object from my aunt that I'll never use ever in my life, okay? And you all have that aunt probably that sends you that odd thing every year for Christmas. That was that gift. No thank you, but thank you. And right, now I'm ready for the Xbox. That's what I was expecting, Xbox never came. Total devastation, total disappointment, okay? And then the disappointment in my seventh grade heart moved to complaining to my parents about why I didn't get this year, why you didn't care about me. Then it becomes this negative, critical spirit towards my parents that they actually don't really care, and I'm against them. And why would they treat me in such, such injustice towards me in seventh grade? Such injustice. You see, what happened is this. I became a cynical seventh grader. I entered into a cynical cycle. Cynicism always happens on a cycle. It's that we have these expectations that we want for our lives. Our lives don't end up as we expected them to, which then leads to complaining, a critical spirit, which then in the end finally leads to kind of this apathetic numbness towards life. You begin with high expectations of what you think God should do in your life, God doesn't show up the way that you thought he should or the, the way you thought he would. 
that becomes this kind of negativity in your spirit, and if left unchecked, that negativity will kind of lead towards this numbness towards life, this kind of cynicism, this uh, kind of removing your heart from belief in God and his power and his work in your life. Paul Miller, in his wonderful book on prayer, I know many of you have, have read it before, he says this about cynicism. Cynicism is the problem of our culture. It creates a numbness towards life. Cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. The combination, cynicism and complaining, shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life going through the motions. Is that you this Christmas season? Just going through the motions. Your heart is numb toward life, doubting that God is actually just, that God is the one who actually will put right everything that's wrong in your life in his timing. Because if we don't have a heart confidence in the justice of God, our only recourse, the only next step for us, is cynicism. Cynicism is a heart that is not believing in the justice of God, that God has promised to put right what is wrong in his timing. And when we have expectations of how that should look and God does not operate on our Amazon Prime timetable, we become discontent. Discontentment leads to criticism, a critical spirit. Critical spirit leads to apathy. One of the, one of the ways that you can tell right now if you are in cynicism is that you've lost your joy in Jesus. You've lost your joy in Jesus. You've lost your delight in Jesus Christ and how wonderful he is. And you've, you've, you've stopped dreaming about all the wonderful things that Jesus could do through your ordinary life. You've resigned your life to kind of just abject, blah, blah, nothingness in the kingdom of God. That's cynicism. It's checking out on the game of life because you believe that God hasn't come through for you. It is a problem Parkview family. It is a problem all of us face all the time. It is one of the main strategies of Satan to make a church impotent in the power of Christ. Is to look around at our personal lives or look around at our church or look around at the world around us and we see the problems and we feel the disappointment and we start becoming discontent and we check out and we just start complaining and complaining. And you're, we sort of become like that annoying Spotify playlist with only one song, and it's on repeat all the time, over and over again. And here's the good news, though, for us, is that Malachi was written to a bunch of cynics. The prophet Malachi, in his book, he was written to a bunch of cynics in the time of God's people who were doubting his justice. And if uh, you look at chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. You've wearied the Lord with your words. You are that Spotify song over and 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 over again on repeat, complaining, complaining. And you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, chapter 217, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. God enjoys it when people do wrong things. At least that's what I look like when I look at the circumstances of my life. It looks like God loves it when people do wrong things. And then the cynical question comes, or you ask, where's the God of justice? Where's the God of justice? That's a snarky question. They're not asking in honesty here. They're saying, where's this God of justice? He's nowhere to be seen. Obviously, the God of justice has taken a vacation or something 
because I look at the bombed out rubble of my life or my church or the world around me and obviously he's not doing anything. Cynicism. Malachi chapter 3 was given to cynics just like us. And so that's why we need to listen carefully to Malachi 3 because it is, it is the only cure for cynicism. Jesus Christ is the only cure for cynicism. The Lord who comes to us, the Lord who comes to us, the Lord who cleanses us, and the Lord, finally, who will bring justice, who will bring condemnation. That's what we're going to learn together. So I'm going to read the passage one more time, and then we'll work through it together, okay? Starting in verse 17 to give some context of where God's people are at. Verse 17 of chapter 2, from the word of the Lord through the prophet Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi's, the, the priests, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who press the hired workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. It's given to us in love. So let's pray. Father, it is all too easy to become cynical in our hearts. I know, I know it's a guarantee fact right now that many of us are battling with cynicism in some pocket of our life, Lord. Some pocket where we feel defeated and we've given up hope that you are actively at work in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our pain. So, Father, in light of that, what I'm asking you, what we're all asking for, is that by your Holy Spirit, through this word, you would put a spotlight on Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ would enter into our cynicism and break it down, Lord, and set us free. Help us see how deeply, how fully, how wonderfully, how mercifully Jesus wants to cleanse us, cleanse the depths of our hearts from our sin. And then show us, Lord, that there is coming a day where there is true justice, true condemnation coming for all, for all sin, for all injustice, for all evil in this world. Help us look to Jesus, we pray, in a fresh way. We pray this by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So here's, here's the whole point of today in God's Word. The whole point, the, the big aim is this. The Lord of justice comes, He comes to cleanse and to condemn. The Lord comes, point one, to cleanse, point two, and condemn, Point three. That is his coming to us, okay? And so I want to look at that, okay? In verse one, we see the Lord come. Remember, okay? God's people dealing with cynicism. This is a time in God's people's lives where they had just gone through a generation of exile. They're now back in God's promised land. The temple's rebuilt, and when the temple's rebuilt, the thought is, wow, God's going to show up. It's going to be total success. We're going to be a super powerful nation. All the resources we wanted, they'll be given to us and there'll be total renewal, and we'll just be awesome. 
And none of that has happened. And God's people are disappointed. God's people start spiraling into the cycle of cynicism. They stop believing that he is the God of justice and start asking, where is this God of justice? Where is he? He's obviously not at work in our lives. And so Malachi, the way that it answers this question, where is this God of justice? He's not showing up. He's not doing what I thought he was. He's not putting right all the wrong in my life. I don't believe that. The answer is the God of justice comes in verse 1, the God of justice cleanses, verses 2 to 4, and the God of justice condemns the guilty, verse 5. Look with me at verse 1. God of justice comes. It says, behold, there's a promise, right, in the future. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will, in the future time, he will prepare the way before me. The Lord's speaking here, okay? And the Lord whom you seek, the Lord of justice, that you think is on a vacation, he, you think he doesn't care anymore, the Lord of justice will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, this is another way, covenant meaning what God has made with his people, I will be your God, you will be my people. The messenger of the covenant, another way of talking about the Lord, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. This Lord of justice, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So there's two people in this verse. There's a coming day, and the two people we should be looking for is one, this messenger, who's going to prepare the way for the second person, who's the Lord himself, coming to his people, coming specifically where? To his temple. And so that's what these Old Testament people are expecting, okay? Now here is the deal, okay? I've never seen this movie, nor do I endorse it, okay? Let me just uh, make that clear there, okay? But I didn't know Die Hard was a Christmas movie. Did you guys know that? Okay, I didn't know that until like three years ago. I was at a Christmas party, and it was like, which one of these movies doesn't belong? It's like Santa's Sleigh Bells, Jingle All the Way, Rain, Rudolph the Red Reindeer, Die Hard. I was like, Die Hard, duh. And then all of a sudden, it's like, Dar's my favorite Christmas movie. I was like, what? Crazy, I never knew that. Anyways, not what I expected, okay? And if you look at the text in verse 1, what does it say? It says, the Lord will come to his temple suddenly. He will suddenly come to his temple. Now, other translations use the word unexpectedly. That's what the word is, is meaning there. Not, it's not expected, okay? In Malachi 3, there's this promise of this coming day of the Lord. He will come, but he's coming in a way that's not expected, okay? Oftentimes, what we think in the church of Christ is this, okay? The problem is outside of us, and what God needs to do is fix the mess of the world around us, whether it's on the left politically or the right politically, whether it's this problem or that tragedy, whatever, God needs to go fix those people. And yet what we see time and time again in God's word is an unexpected coming that he comes not first to, we might say, uh, crush the world and all of its problems, but he comes, what, to the temple, to his people. We see this more deeply, right? As he comes to his people in verses two to four, the God of justice comes to cleanse his people. Verse two, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? It's diehard, okay? It's not sweet, sweet little Santa Claus coming. There's some intensity here, right? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He is like the white hot, what's saying here, intensity of a fire that cleans up the dirty metals to make something beautiful and useful to its owner. The Lord of justice will come like a fuller's soap, another ancient mechanism by which the person would scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub a piece of cloth to to remove the stain so that it can be useful to the owner. So verse 3 then says, the Lord of justice will be like this refiner, this purifier, of silver, and he will purify 
the sons of Levi, sons of Levi being the priests, they're from the tribe of Levi, and refine them, purify, refine, cleanse them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord, meaning they will actually lead God's people in true worship. Of, and then, verse 4, then once the priests, the spiritual leaders of God's people are cleaned up, verse 4 says the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, God's whole people, it will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former days. So here's the point. The point that Malachi is trying to press into us is the purpose of God, of the Lord of justice coming to the temple to cleanse the priests is so that it can fix what's broken about worship for the ultimate purpose of God's people, verse 4, having a right relationship with him, that they can offer, that they can worship before him with hearts that are purified. You see, the priests were God's chosen leaders to be the go-between, right? The go-between between a holy God and an unholy people. But in Malachi's day, they were lollygagging around. Instead of giving the all-star VIP sacrifices, the best of the best to the Lord, what they were offering up was like JVB team offerings to the Lord thinking, ah, God will just be cool with that. God was not cool with that. He did not accept that because God deserves the best. But here are the priests, God's spiritual leaders, fooling around, messing around with the worship, tampering with God's word, not teaching. Other, elsewhere, Malachi says they weren't teaching God's word faithfully. And so think about it. What is more evil than spiritual leaders mishandling God's word, not being responsible for bringing the cleansing forgiveness, right? What are priests for? To bring, symbolize, to go between the cleansing forgiveness of the holy God to an unholy people, a desperate, unholy, sinful people. And the priests are, are, are withholding that from the people. How terrible. So the people cannot enter into true worship. It, it would be like a doctor who's responsible for cleansing the wound of a dying patient, but the doctor himself having an infectious disease on his hands as he's in the middle of operation. That's what's going on here with these priests. And so the Lord of justice says, no more funny business at the temple. No more. And what I promise is that I will come in the future, and I will come to the temple, to the priests. I will clean up this temple so that unholy people can truly experience the forgiveness and cleansing at the deepest parts of who you are. That is the, that is the promise here in Malachi 3, with the Lord of justice coming, right? And, and just a, a, a short moment here of application, right? Did you notice the way in which the Lord of justice cleanses his people of sin? It's through scrubbing over and over, and, and it's through a fire that purifies. It is through pain. It is through hardship. It is through difficulty. Purification happens through pain. The Lord desires godly character, Parkview Church, more than your comfort. And God will use whatever means necessary to humble us and cleanse us from our sin. But maybe we still have the lingering question, okay, God will cleanse his people, but what about all the injustice out there? What about all the, the people that are doing such wrong things, the violence and the hatred? What, what about all that injustice? Where is the God of justice? Because I thought he would do something about all this wickedness that's around us, where our hope then is in verse 5. Verse 5, the, the second part, okay, the Lord's coming is in two parts, a cleansing for his people from their sin, but then it is a condemnation for the guilty. This is God's word. I know this is a difficult thing for us to hear right now in our 21st century Western ears, 
But this is God's true word. Verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. That might be basically religious abuse, any way to manipulate God. That's what sorcery was. Against the adulterers, there's sexual sin. Against those who swear falsely, the catch-all terms for sins of speech. Against those who oppress the hired workers, the widow and the fatherless, and oppress those who are sojourners, okay? All of these sins, basically, by lack of mercy to the least of these. And then finally, the catch-all term of all of these things, those who do not fear me. I have come to bring judgment for those who do not fear me, those who have not willingly submitted their lives under the mercy of of God. There will be condemnation. Now again, at first glance, these passages make us cringe as 21st century Western Christians, but we as Christians must know why they're in the Bible, these passages. Because the God of justice, it seems harsh and judgmental, but think of this passage in light of those of us here who have been sinned against, who have been on the receiving end of these sins. That's what this passage is for, right? Some of us in this room This passage actually is wonderfully good news that God will bring justice because we know the pain of adultery and sexual sin against us. And we know the pain of being falsely accused for something we've never did. Or some of us know the pain of being oppressed or the pain of being left out like a sojourner from a community of people. Now, again, those of us who have committed these sins, again, the offer always in the gospel of Jesus Christ is full cleansing and forgiveness of sins. God delights to forgive you through Jesus Christ's Son if you've committed any of these things. And yet, this passage here, the focus of this particular verse, is to say there's a coming Lord of justice who will not let the ongoing insanity of the evil around us just go on and on and on unchecked. There will be a day of reckoning where things will be put right. There will be justice. What is broken will be healed. And yet we are back then to the cynicism of our heart. Where is this God of justice? It's a nice promise, but where is this God of justice? It's nice to say that at some point, but where is that God of justice? I don't know if I believe that. Because I look at my life and I look at the church or the church more broadly or I look at the world around me and it doesn't look like justice to me. It looks like broken hearts. It looks like shame. It looks like suffering. It looks like constant difficulty day after day. Where's the God of justice? We are tempted towards cynicism, isn't it? To stop trusting that God truly is the God of justice. And so what hope is there? Well, Malachi 3 is a promise. And remember the flow of this passage. The promise is this. There's a future day where someone will come who will prepare the way of the Lord. And the Lord says throughout this passage, I am coming. I am coming. I am coming. The Lord of justice is coming and he comes to cleanse and to, to condemn. I am coming. I am coming. The Lord of justice is coming. 400 years after Malachi has this prophecy, we see a man walk on the stage of history named John the Baptist. And in Mark 1, the Gospel of Mark, it says that he is the one who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. And immediately after John proclaims the Lord is coming, who shows up but Yahweh, God in sandals, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we see the Lord of justice walking onto the stage of history. The Lord of justice 
coming into this world of insanity and evil and wickedness and the bombed out rubble of our pain and sadness and into the depths of our cynicism and our unbelief and the way our hearts have become numb and cold, Jesus Christ enters right there as the Lord of justice. And have you ever thought about what Jesus does twice in his ministry? Right at the beginning in the Gospel of John, and at the end in the other Gospels, what Jesus does is what? He comes to the temple, doesn't he? And actually, if you look at the, probably those, your, if your Bible has kind of headings over those sections, when Jesus, it says Jesus what? Cleanses the temple. The Lord of justice coming to his temple. And there's probably many things we could say about what's happening there, but at the heart of it, what's happening is Jesus is saying, no longer will desperate, needy, sinful men and women need to depend on or be rejected by the foolishness of the priestly system that had been broken and damaged. Instead, Jesus Christ, the Lord of justice, comes and he himself says, I am this new and true temple. I am now becoming the place where unholy, unclean men and women can come in a right relationship with the holy God of the universe. And it's not through sacrificing goats. It's not through sacrificing a lamb. It's through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, the Lord of justice coming, he comes unexpectedly. The Lord of justice comes and unexpectedly not coming to crush the world in a judgment in his first coming, no. In his first coming, what? He comes in mercy, taking on the judgment that your sin and my sin deserves upon himself, bearing the wrath and judgment of God on the cross so that he can cleanse you. Don't forget what we mention so often here at church, especially in our times of confession. What do we quote? First John 1. What does First John 1 say? That God is just and therefore he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus crucified on the cross, shows to us that he is the one who cleanses us by taking the fire of judgment on himself. And here's why this is good news for you and me right now in the midst of our cynicism. As we look at our lives and the sins we continue to struggle with and the pain that we continue to struggle with, you know what happens is we, we start kind of removing ourselves from the Lord I'm, I'm too dirty for the Lord. I'm too unclean. But what it shows us is this. If Jesus goes to the cross to take the fire of God's judgment for your sin, then surely any of the fires that we experience, any of the pains and difficulties in our life right now, they are not, they are not, Parkview, signs of the Lord's condemnation of you. The pain and difficulty in your life is actually sign of his cleansing of you. Because Jesus Christ took all of the condemnation. Those who are in Christ, in Christ, there is no condemnation. So the fire of God's purification, right, of Malachi 3, the fire is not that of God judging you in your sin, but of him cleansing you, cleansing you, cleansing you. Right now, Haddon, my son, he hates baths. He hates baths. He hates them. He hates getting clean. In fact, this is what he sounds like. I don't like bath. I don't like bath. I don't like bath. I, I don't like bath. No bath. I don't like bath, okay? But as his dad, guess what? I'm putting him in the water. I'm putting him through what he doesn't want because I know what he needs. And in Jesus Christ, what we see is this. 
God will allow into your life what you hate and what ultimately his heart hates so that he can produce in you what he loves, which is the character of Christ. The suffering and pain and fire where we say, Lord, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. It is being put into your life by a sovereign, loving Heavenly Father whose passion for you is to become like Jesus Christ's son, which is your joy if you are in Jesus Christ. And so the promise and the call for every single one of us here is to not give up hope. The fire may be very hot right now, but Jesus Christ took the hottest part of the flame for you on the cross so that he can make you something beautiful. First Peter says this, he has come to make your faith more precious than gold through the purification of fire so that in the result it might end up in praise to God. God allows what he hates, the fire, the pain, the heat, the difficulty to accomplish what he loves in you. Do you trust him, Parkview Church? that right now he is allowing into your life. That's a quote, by the way, by Johnny Erickson Tata, a woman who has been paralyzed for most all of her life. And through her life, she has realized that God has allowed, has allowed her to be paralyzed because she has seen the depth of intimacy she has experienced with Jesus Christ as God has cleansed her of her pride and self-sufficiency. Maybe right now, that problem in your life that won't go away Maybe one thing, maybe, probably not all, but maybe one reason the Lord has it there is because he has something beautiful to make of you, more precious than silver, more precious than gold. You are precious to the Lord. Don't forget it. But then, not only his first coming, right, but the second coming of Christ. Christ came first to cleanse us of sin. The second thing, right, when he comes again, his second coming, he will, he will bring condemnation for the guilty. Let's be clear on this, Parkview Church. There is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ. But for those who continue to fool around with sin, who oppress others, who pursue sexual sin for their own pleasure, and who continue down a path of foolishness and sin without any recourse of repentance, without any desire for mercy of Jesus Christ, without any desire for forgiveness or change of life, those who refuse to be in Christ, but who remain outside of Christ because they won't receive the mercy of Christ, there will be condemnation. There's coming a day where all of the sicknesses and wickedness and forms of hatred and unlove that have been performed against you will some way in the mystery yet confidence of Jesus Christ be put right. They will be put right. And so I would call for those of us here who have experienced the suffering from the hands of another, the oppression, the wickedness. Justice is coming. Jesus is coming. Here's the logic of Christmas. The logic of Advent is this. If in Malachi, thousands of years ago, there was a promise at a point in time given that the Lord would come and bring cleansing, and Jesus did come 400 years later after Malachi to fulfill that promise, if he came the first time in faithfulness to his promise, then the logic is you better guarantee it that he's coming again a second time. 
to bring justice and righteousness and peace in a world rinsed clean from sin and where justice and peace reign forever in the presence of Christ. And so what we need to do every Advent season is the chance for us to do two looks, right? So take that kind of that cynicism in your life. Where's that pocket of resistance, that unbelief that God is just? What I want you to do with that thing in your life right now is I want you to look back and look forward. I want you to look back and recognize that the pain you're going through now, right, because of Christ, it's, it's a form of cleansing, not of condemnation. But since you are in Christ, there is then, look forward, coming a day where there will thing, things will be put right through what Jesus is going to do in his coming. And so the question is this, will we live by faith? Will we trust the Lord now? Will we, right, today's Advent theme is faith. Will we trust the Lord? Will we trust the Lord? Because he will come. If he came the first time, he will come the second time. You guys uh, heard the story at the very beginning of my immaturity as a seventh grader, right? And uh, to pick up that story, there I was on the couch moping and just meh the rest of the day until my parents plopped in my lap a huge gift. There it was, the Xbox. Now here's the deal, okay? No, that doesn't always happen, okay? Good night, good night. But you know what I was forgetting in the midst of my cynicism and my doubt and my kind of just bleh attitude? My complain, 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 Spotify playlist. I was forgetting two things. One, I forgot that my parents don't operate on my timetable. They don't operate on my timetable. The second thing I forgot is I, I forgot to remember the years past where they have always done that every year. Well, they take away one present and hide it, and I'm like, oh, no, come show up. Why don't you love me? And then there, a couple hours later, there it is. I think what we need to realize, friends, is this. We need to trust our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of justice. We all desire justice, yes, and it sure doesn't feel like the Lord really cares, doesn't it sometimes? It sure doesn't feel like that justice is on the top of his priority list for our lives. But one day, even as we sit here in the midst of our cynicism, this is how wonderfully merciful the Lord is, even in the midst of our cynicism, one day, the Lord will return and Jesus Christ will rinse clean all of the wicked filth of our hearts, finally and fully, and the wicked filth of all the things that have been done to us and he will put things right. He is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, we need to yet again believe all over again that you are the God of justice. I pray for those here who are outside of Christ. Lord, would you convince them that this is an offer for them right now, that they can be cleansed of their sin. But for those of us who are in Christ, would you, by your Holy Spirit, Convince us, convince us, Lord, that you are good and that you are the God of justice. Help us trust you right now by your Holy Spirit's power through your word. Amen.